Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Well, all righty. Good morning. Good to be here with you. Look at that Patriots jersey, living the dreams, the dreams of yesteryear. And next year. All right. Good to be with you. If, uh, if you're new here, who's the weird guy talking about the Patriots jersey? I'm Matt, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm here to serve you. So um, introduce yourself after the service. If you got a second, I'd love to meet you and hear a little bit about your story. We are actually wrapping up our series for the past number of weeks. We've been talking about generosity Generosity. What does generosity look like? What does it look like to be generous people? And uh, so today we're wrapping that up. And throughout this whole series, we've been reminding ourselves that generosity doesn't begin with us. It's not our bright idea. It's not the thing that we do because it makes us feel better. Uh, Generosity actually begins with God. Yeah, God, God. Like in the beginning, God, him. He started this whole thing and he revealed himself to be generous, Abundance, like that's even the language of creation. God created everything that was, and he's, as he called it out, he filled it. And so we see words like um, the seas were teeming with fish and, and wildlife, and the earth is filled with vegetation. Like that, when God created, he created generously. And even when we rejected him, rejected his love, rejected his law, um, he still moved generously. And so generosity begins with God. And so our lives, are an exp- we, we are recipients of God's generosity, and then we become expressions of his generosity in the world in which we live. And so we've been looking at, at this together today. And so today we really want to dial into, as, as we're wrapping things up, we want to dial into how, how do we live that out uh, as individuals connected to a body called uh, church? And, and so what does it look like to, to be a part of what God is building here in this church through our acts of generosity? So how we give financially, how we give our time and our energy to what God is doing in this thing called church. All right, And so we're going to explore that together this morning. And we're going to do so as we read from a New Testament book called 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, you can begin to turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to. We're going to read chapter 9 together. And I just want to do a little reminder here that when we look at uh, 2 Corinthians, this is a letter. It was written as a letter, as a communication from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Christians in Corinth. And so it's written as a letter. It's, it's sort of like for us, we're listening to one side of a phone conversation. And we're not getting the other side. But, but there's things that we can extrapolate, things that we learn as we do this. So God inspired this writing, and it's in the form of a letter by Paul to Christians in Corinth. And the section that we're looking at here today, it's, um, it's picking up, and it's this little portion of, of Paul's letter, where he's talking to them about a, an offering that is being received. And let me give you a little bit of context on that. When uh, Paul first came to Christ... Uh, he took several years to learn and grow in his understanding. Uh, he was shaped 
uh, as a, a faithful Jew and then giving himself to Christ, he had to figure out what, what translated into his faith in Jesus and what didn't. And so he took several years to do that. And as a part of that whole process, he sensed clearly that God had called him not as an ambassador of, of faith to the Jewish people, but specifically as an ambassador of the gospel to Gentiles, to people who were, who were not Jewish. And so here's this guy who was like incredibly trained as a Jew, but God was calling him out of that uh, community, out of that culture uh, to go to Gentiles. And so he received blessing from the original apostles who were in Jerusalem. They were the followers of Jesus and that he appointed as apostles. And so they blessed Paul and his companions to go be an ambassador to the Gentiles. And as a part of that blessing, Paul assured them that as he took the gospel to the Gentiles, as he established communities of Jesus' followers throughout the whole land, um, that, uh, that they, would, they would be generous towards the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Because as Jews, following Jesus, making that decision to be baptized and to follow Jesus cost them a great deal. It cost them a great deal. And so they were struggling with their own poverty. And so Paul said, as I'm leaving, um, I'll make sure that we send an offering back that helps support what's going on here in the, the, the fledgling church in Jerusalem. And so that's what Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. So when he talks about this offering and that kind of thing, that's the context of that. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes this. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, stuff that he'd just been talking about, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, this other group of Gentiles, telling them that since the last year, uh, since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order to, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians came with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. And then you're caught off guard is what he's saying. Uh, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you've already promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written in Psalm 112, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word here, I pray that you would help us to uh, gain clarity through your spirit, that you would be our teacher today and reveal yourself as we listen. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear so that we can listen well. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would give us eyes to see so that we can see you more clearly with eyes of faith and that you would grow our hearts Make them soft and pliable in your care that they would be good soil to receive the seed of your word and grow roots that are strong and deep like a tree planted by streams of living water. And that that tree, the tree of our soul, would bear good fruit for our good and flourishing and for your glory. Let it be so according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this whole notion of, of, of giving uh, to, to our church, the church that we're a part of, I, I, let, let's set the stage a, a little bit in this because sometimes we find ourselves um, struggling to really get some handles on this. And so I, I want us to look back first. So one of the things that we'll do is we'll draw from uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, which is very centered around the temple. It's, it's centered around the temple. And the temple was this huge, beautiful um, building and grounds that were all constructed to paint a very specific picture. And the picture that it was constructed to paint is uh, Eden, taking us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where God took the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden. And it was a place where God was with his people. And so the temple, it, it, even its um, adornments, its, its uh, tapestry and the decorations are all garden imagery. And so it's designed to be the place where God dwells with his people. And so in early Israel, as they were beginning to establish themselves as a nation, their third king, Solomon, was given permission by God to build a temple. And the idea was that this temple was in Jerusalem. It was in the center of everything because God would dwell with his people in, in their midst. And then God's provision for that temple was one of the 12 tribes, the Levites, they were to actually, they were, for, they were giving up their stake to the ground, uh, the, the, the land, and they would serve in the temple continually. And in order to anchor them uh, with provision and in order to anchor them into the inheritance and the promise of God, God's instructions to the other 11 tribes was that they were to give a portion, the first fruits, uh, to the temple for the provision of the temple and for the provision of the Levites. And so we see throughout the Hebrew scriptures this whole model of um, God's command to give the first fruits, the, the, the beginning portion of all of our uh, crops and um, animals and, and all of that were to be given, our earnings were to be given to temple for its upkeep, uh, for, its, uh, for the people who serve there day in and day out, the Levites, all right? So that's one model that we're given. Another, then what happens is uh, Jesus comes 
And Jesus declares himself actually the fulfillment of the temple. The temple was all about heaven and earth coming together, about God being reconciled to humanity after the fall of Genesis 3. And so here is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect humanity. He is of creation. He is of God, right? Fully God, fully man, heaven and earth coming together. And he is reconciling humanity to God through his sacrificial death and resurrection. And so Jesus puts himself in the place of the temple. And he goes so far as to say at one point, very specifically, tear down the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Now, was he talking about the, the edifice of the temple in that moment? No, he was talking about himself, that he would be destroyed and then he would come back after three days. All right. So he's, he's putting himself in the place of temple. And particularly towards the end of Jesus's life, he was actually pronouncing judgment on temple. He said, there's going to come a day and many of you are going to live to see it when this whole thing will be torn down. One stone will, be not, will not be left upon another. Oh, man, that made the temple people furious. And that was one of the very reasons they wanted to kill him. Because he was pronouncing judgment on this thing where God resided. God hadn't resided in the temple for generations. But they held out hope, right? So there's the temple, and then Jesus changes this thing. He becomes the temple, and he creates for himself a new people, not born out of one specific ethnic race, but out of all nations. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, was meeting with his followers, and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, out of my authority, I am commissioning you that wherever you go, wherever you go, you ought to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That's the evangelism, bringing them in. And then you should instruct them, you should teach them to obey everything that I have commanded, Jesus said. That's this maturity, building them up in Christ, who is the king of the kingdom of God. And so, they said, well, how are we gonna get this thing done? And Jesus said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait, because you're gonna get a sign. Well, what's the sign? You'll know it when you see it. And so there, there they are waiting and waiting and waiting. And then comes the time of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit, rushing wind and fire, whammo! They saw the sign and they got the sign and the Holy Spirit fell on each of them. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit falling on one special person. It wasn't just on a few special people. It was all of them that were there received this Holy Spirit. And all of them began to speak in these other tongues and uh, people from other nations recognized the gospel in their own language. It was crazy and people thought, they were drunk and they said, we're not drunk. We're just filled with God's spirit. And so it was this whole thing. And now we're off to the races. And, and so God's spirit was empowering them to fulfill the mission to which Jesus had commissioned them, taking his gospel, his good news to all the earth. Whew. But notice what's not happening here. Jesus didn't commission them to go build buildings, do programs, and get 501c3s and organize yourselves. And so what we get in the New Testament is the church that is an empowered people called the body of Christ, the family of God, all these different metaphors, but, but they, weren't, they were meeting in homes, they would meet in courtyards and public places, they would meet in the temple for worship. Like they were, it was, a, it was a people who were learning and growing what it meant to be disciples of Jesus and to follow him. And God was adding to their number all the time. And so we get this picture of church and, and it feels a little bit different than what we tend to experience as church. 
right? And so when we try to figure out, like, how do we relate to the church with generosity? How do we engage with our church in generosity? Sometimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll draw on kind of this Old Testament temple metaphor. And so we say, here's the law, here's the rules, boom, do it. And then other times we might swing over to this side. We say, well, this isn't all the church. And and, and this isn't even mentioned in the Bible, and so why are we supporting all of this and all of that? And so we can swing back and forth in these things. And so what I want us to do is we look at this. I want us to, one, be able to embrace that tension. Let's embrace that tension, and let's acknowledge that, that what we have as church um, is different than the specifics that are described in Scripture. It, like, like this, the building that we're in isn't, isn't temple, like there, there isn't a holy of holies back here. The drum kit maybe for some is, but, uh, but so there's not like holy of holies that we go only once a year and we're afraid of God. And, but there's outer, like this isn't temple. This isn't where God resides. Uh, this is sacred space for us because this is where we gather. It's where we worship. The building helps us to worship. Like it, it I prefer to do it in a room like this versus out under a tree in the winter, especially. Right, And so it, it, it's this important space for us. It's utilitarian, but it's also got sacred space. This is, this is a space where, where some of you like, gave your life to Jesus. Some of you were married in this space. Some of you said goodbye to those you loved in this space. And so the, the, we, we assign meaning to the space because of its significance and how we experience what God does in our lives. But the space in and of itself isn't commissioned by God as the place where his spirit, where, where his spirit resides because his spirit is covering all the earth. Right? And so we hold these things in tension and we acknowledge there's a way that we do this that is unique in a context. And so God, in this context, you know, our context was born out of um, predominantly Western European uh, Christianity. Uh, where, where there were buildings, a huge, massive cathedral. Some of you even been to, to Europe and you've seen these beautiful, beautiful places. It's awe-inspiring, isn't it? Um, but then as the colonies, like we started to come to the colonies, um, churches were actually some of the first buildings built in the colonies. And and it was very much tied into participation in the community um, of any particular town. Before a town could be an actual town, it had to have a church. It had to have an official church with a membership role and all of that. As a matter of fact, your participation in the town was contingent upon you being a member of that church, which is why a lot here in, in New England, there's a lot of uh, churches that are centered around all of these towns because it was woven into that. And so... So we have a context, and we have a context for understanding what God is calling us into. And so as Paul talks about giving to his mission and, and how we process for ourselves, how we engage with our local church in the context in which we're in, let's hold those tensions. Let's hold those tensions, and let's, I, I, like, I'm not going to pretend that it's a one-to-one -one correlation to what we have in Scripture, but there are things that God is teaching us in Scripture that are good for us, and that lead us and guide us in how we participate in what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the church, and to um, engage through generosity in the local church. And even when we talk about generosity, we're talking about finances, we're also talking about um, our energy, our, our gifts and our skills, uh, our abilities, our time, right? And so we're talking about the fullness, just like we've been for these last number of weeks. We're talking about the fullness of our generosity in those ways. 
So that's the context for us and understanding what Paul is drawing us into as he's talking about this offering that he's receiving. And one of the, one of the pieces that stands out for us and that is highlighted for us is this dynamic that generous giving, listen to this, generous giving is intentional. Generous giving is intentional. It's on purpose. Did you hear that in this? Listen to a few of these verses. Uh, go back to six. Remember this, Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's intention in this. Each of you, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Do you hear that? There's this intention that God is, is giving here. Right, And as we go on, uh, I think it's uh, like verse 9, we see this. Uh, verse 9 is quoting Psalm 112. Uh, Paul was well-versed in the Psalms, so he brings that to bear here uh, through the Spirit's prompting. Uh, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And so what stands out here is this dynamic of righteousness. So there's a few things we're going to touch on here. One of those is this metaphor that Paul is giving us, uh, this agricultural metaphor. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will reap generously. Now, just a little parenthesis here. Let's just uh, confess. We all we come from different settings and different arenas where we've been trained and taught on these things. And there are some, whether it's been in person and different traditions you've been a part of or even some of the stuff that happens on TV, um, that, that use this passage in, in very specific and manipulative uh, ways, in ways that, frankly, Paul isn't intending here. Paul is giving us a metaphor that does something for us. But, but it can be used in different settings where it says, uh, it, it will extrapolate to, if you give this amount, then God's going to bless you with this amount. It, it's, it becomes a transactional type of a thing where if you put the coin in the slot, pull the lever of God, and then he's going to have everything cash out for you, and you can count on everything working well for you. That is completely antithetical to everything that the gospel holds out before us. It, it, is, a, uh, it, it, is, it is a mythological misappropriation of what Jesus has revealed himself to be in us, all right? So I want to make sure we're taking, if any of us have ever had those lenses put on, we're going to take those lenses off because that isn't what's happening here. Paul is holding out for us a metaphor that, that frankly elicits some measure of agreement, doesn't it? I mean, it's hard to, like if you're sowing seed in a garden and you sow sparingly, like I've only got a little bit, I'm just going to drop one here, I'm going to drop one here, you should expect that what you would reap would be sparing. And if you sow generously, whoosh, 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 then you should expect a harvest that's quite generous, right? That, that's like, it's math and biology working together. And so Paul is drawing on this and eliciting from us a, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because remember, he's talking like, hey, I'm sending, like we got this offering, we had talked about it. Uh, so you guys have been prepared for this offering. I'm sending some people ahead of you. So, so I'm sending the brothers ahead of you because they're going to make sure you're ready because then when I show up, I don't want you to be caught off guard. Have you ever been caught off guard when somebody's expecting something from you? Right? So Paul shows up, says, oh, I'm here for the offering. Oh, oh, I did, um, 
sure, okay, we got, uh, uh, oh, I, I, I have the wrong satchel, um, right? And so like when we're caught off guard like that, when we're, when we're surprised, what, what happens to us? We're like, we choke and we hoard and we keep, like we're caught off guard, right? It doesn't breed generosity. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm setting the table because you guys are generous people. I know this about you and I don't wanna just catch you off guard because I'm bringing some people here and I've told them how generous you are and I want them to see when you show up and I go, hey, you're ready for the offering? And you go, yes, we're ready for the offering. Look at this. That's the way, he, so he's setting the table for that. So he's setting the table and saying, because remember, like if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. And I don't want you to show up and kind of have to pucker because you're caught off guard. So he's setting the table in this whole sort of thing, right? So here's generosity. There's abundance, right? We're sowing generously. Now what happens? As we look at this, what, what do we reap in this? It comes back to, like Paul isn't saying, if you put in a dollar, you get out three. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you sow generously, be generous. Whatever that generosity is going to look like, whatever you've determined in your heart to look, for it to look like, um, do it. Because you can trust what God is doing. And what is God doing? He is reaping a harvest of righteousness. He says it a couple times in here. Righteousness. Righteousness is the fruit. Now let's pause for just a second and talk a little bit about Righteousness righteousness the word that's used here and it's used over and over and over again throughout scripture and it carries with it a very specific understanding and that understanding is relational sometimes we think of righteousness as check the box of do check the box of don't and we're righteous that's not how it's used throughout scripture it's always a relational thing and so it's it's um to be righteous is to be the kind of person that is relationally whole. To be righteous is to be the kind of person that is relationally whole. And that is true before God, and that is true in relationship with others. Now, let's be honest. There's nothing we can do to be relationally whole with God. We've blown it. We have rejected him, we have spit on him, we have cursed him in the decisions that we have made and how we have made them. We have severed that relationship. But God, in his generosity, has made a way for us to be made whole with him, to be reconciled to him. And so he gives us his righteousness, and then as his character is shaped in us by his Holy Spirit, we live our lives righteously, which means we are reciprocating love back to God. We love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. We are, we, we are living as people who make relationships whole. Okay? So this is an important way for us to understand this. When you express generosity, he's saying... We're taking this offering. We're caring for the poor in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church. I'm taking up this special offering for them. When you sow sparingly, you're withholding. When you sow generously, you're showing the righteousness of God that is already alive in you. And your act of generosity is increasing the righteousness within you. How is that so? Because generous people are relationally whole with those who are in need. So you're showing yourselves to be the righteousness of God as you care for the needs of your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. 
their need becomes your need. You're made of the stuff, the righteousness that makes those relationships whole. And so what Paul is doing here over and over and over again, he's affirming the, and he's talking about finances here, these financial gifts that you're giving are tied directly to your heart. Your giving reveals God's righteousness alive in you and your giving in generosity cultivates flourishing righteousness. Your giving is tied to your heart. Now, of course, Paul isn't making that up on his own, is he? If we were to hang out with Jesus in Matthew chapter six, we would hear Jesus say something like this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so here's the master teaching your finances and how you interact in generosity financially, your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Paul is simply saying the thing that Jesus had already said. And he's using this illustration, this metaphor to draw us more fully into it. And so he's saying, what does that generosity look like? He says, it's doing what you have said in your heart to do. Because remember, generous, generous giving is intentional. It's sowing is intentional. It's a choice that I, and I can choose sparing or I can choose generously, but there's an outcome that rests in us, what God is doing in my heart. And so he says, give what you have said in your heart to give. That can be a little bit tricky, can it? I've had conversations with, with some of you, and as long as I've been a pastor, I've had these kinds of conversations where somebody would say, well, what should I give? Right, because we're trying to say, like the temple model, which was a, a tithe, 10%, or is that fulfilled and I don't have to give anything? It requires nothing of me. So we're looking for the, the answer when the answer that Paul is giving us is make a decision. What, what is it in your heart that you have been compelled to give. And so the, the, how I often respond back is, what, what is the Lord telling you to give? Do that. Oh, isn't that frustrating? Right? I'm just looking for a simple answer, Matt. Is it 10%? Is it less than that? Is it not? Like, just give me an answer. And, and my answer is, well, do what God tells you to do. Ask him. Ask him and then do that. Because that's what Paul is saying. You already talked to the Lord. He's like, you determine in your heart what you're going to do. Do that. Because right, sometimes we'll, in our, in our quiet time, we'd be like, oh, God, yes, 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 I'm going to give this. This is great. And then it comes time to write the check. Does anybody write a check anymore? Some of us do. And so we write the check or we're pulling out the card to actually do the thing. Uh, we're getting on the phone to, to give like, oh, I kind of felt like it was this, but I'd rather do that. Right? So Paul said, well, you said it in your heart. Like you've talked with the Lord about it. Do what you said you were going to do. See, because God's not after your money. God doesn't need your money. It's all his anyway. He doesn't need your money. What does he want? He wants your heart. And what does he know? There's a connection to my heart. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. <laughs> oh. So intentionality begins with seeking. God, what do you want from me in this? It ought, there ought to be freedom in this. Because we're not going by, by some arbitrary type of thing out here. There ought to be some freedom to this. Let's be honest. There's some 
conviction in this? Because sometimes we go with the arbitrary, like the 10%, boop, cha-ching, we're done, we're off, the rest is mine. No, 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 we're missing something. What are we missing? We're missing righteousness. What is God asking you? Right, and so sometimes when we ask, it's different than we might want, which is precisely what he's inviting. See, the Lord loves you so much. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you held captive by your stuff. Materialism is a trap that corrodes the soul. And God is so gracious, he's so kind, and he's so loving. He's made a way for us to rebel against the corrosive nature of materialism and to walk in freedom. And giving generously is one of the ways that that works. Okay? Generous giving is intentional. There's a couple of ways that uh, we as a church want to help us think well about this kind of stuff. And so a couple of things are going to be coming up. I just want to put them on your radar. One of those is called Financial Peace University. Uh, it's a program that helps you explore kind of biblical principles of uh, financial stewardship. Because some of us are going, I'd love to give this, but I'm just so tied up in this stuff, I just can't. And so I think there's ways that if we could look at our finances a little bit differently, that it might actually provide a little bit of freedom for us. And so that's the purpose of financial peace. And so that's going to be coming up uh, early summer. And then another uh, piece of this is called uh, Legacy Wise. It's a ministry that was started by somebody who's in our church. And um, it is a, a, a legal platform and an invitation to put our house in order for what happens when we're no longer here and able to make choices about our finances. And so how do we care well for our family? How do we care well for ministry outside of our family with that which we leave behind. And so some of us, many of us, are actually woefully, uh, inadequately prepared for those questions. And so legacy-wise is a, a very reasonable, cost-effective ministry born in Christ um, that you're going to be hearing more about as we get closer to that time. But it's designed to, to serve you in that regard, right? So a couple of things to uh, be looking out for coming up this spring and summer. So generous giving is intentional. Generous giving is also joyful. Did you hear those words in there? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a joyful giver. Not giving out of compulsion. When we feel scarcity, we'll lock it down. When we feel fearful, we'll lock it down. Right? And so this is actually a beautiful invitation to freedom, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, God has expressed his love for you in Christ. There's nothing that's taken that away. He loves you. If you're in Christ, you're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter, right? And so um, generosity financially or in other ways uh, doesn't make you more his son or daughter. It, do it doesn't move us up to the front of a particular line, because right? that's how we measure things. Am I at the front of the line? Am I at the back of the line? Am I in the outskirts? Am I in the center? Um, and then some are like, yeah, I'm kind of fine. I'm, I'm getting in. Who cares if I'm at the back of the line? Right? So we're, we're like, for our minds, we do the math. God's not doing math here when he says God loves a cheerful giver. He's calling us in a cheerful giver. Well, that's, that, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? A cheerful giver, a joyful giver. It's talking about what again? Our hearts, our disposition. Don't be compulsive. Oh, okay, they're making me do this. 
Oh, you caught me by surprise. Here you go. I'm going to look pretty good. Right? These are the compulsions that we wrestle with. So not out of compulsion, not out of um, anything that is grudgingly given, but rather joyfully giving to, uh, what, what, what is joy? What fans the flame of joy in our giving? Um, to uh, delight in helping others. Like there's, there's joy in, oh, there's a need. I get to help that need, right? You've experienced that in giving little or giving much. It doesn't matter, but there's joy in helping in being a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? And so there's joy in that. Uh, there's joy as we engage in the mission of God. Remember, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Jesus said, go and spread the, spread the word. Invite everybody of all nations into this thing that we're talking about, the kingdom of heaven. And God is at work around the entire world. Do you realize that? And through our giving, we get to be a part of that. Through generosity, we get to be a part of that. Whoa, that's pretty remarkable. I remember since I was a little kid growing up in the church, I would hear these stories from, from missionaries and seeing what God is going. And we had, you know, like 1040 window, the place that's kind of the hardest places for the gospel in the world. And there's place, like there's literally places in the world where people haven't heard uh, the name of Jesus. I remember going to one of them. Uh, it was in Africa. And uh, so I was there for, for uh, teaching some pastors and then I got to go out and do some other stuff. And so we were going out to this village. And so we, we drove an hour and a half and then, and we were in like big, like real four by four trucks doing this thing. So it was no sissy little car th thing. But then we got to the place that we couldn't drive anymore. Uh, there, there, there was no more road. There wasn't anything that it was even a path. So the car, the trucks wouldn't get us there. So then we had to get out and hike about another hour and a half to get into this particular village. And there, I, I met people, and it was, this was blowing my mind. I met people who had never heard the name of Jesus. And then <clears throat> one of the elders did know about Jesus. And so he greeted us and found out I was a pastor, you know, and um, then said, you, you tell him. And so I got to preach for people who had never heard about God as the creator. I, like, it messed with my, like, how do I even begin this thing, right? So it was amazing to me. It was eye-opening to me. And so I'd had this, 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 since I was a little kid, this knowledge, like, the, the world needs to know. And there's so many places in the world that don't know. And then just last, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I was reading an article, and it was an article put out by the Lucerne, uh, I never really say it right, Lucerne, uh, movement for world evangelization. So it, it's this, this movement of Christians from all over the world who are banding together to spread the gospel of Jesus throughout the entire world. And so they've had a number of global congresses uh, throughout the last uh, several decades, and they're preparing for another one. So I was reading an article that they had put out. Like, they know world evangelism. They, they know what's going on. And this wasn't the point of the article, but it stopped me in my tracks, so I'm reading the article, reading the article, reading there. And then there was this little phrase. At this point in history, every nation has at least one Christian congregation in it. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop a second. I had to read it again. Every nation on earth has at least one Christian congregation in it. This was news to me. This was stunningly good news to me. It blew my mind that we have gotten to a place for the first time in human history that every nation on earth has at least one Christian body, church, within its borders. Now, the point of the article was, while this is true, there is much work to do. 
There are languages that exist that people speak every day that do not have a translation of the Bible in it. There are people within these nations who have still not heard the name of Jesus. Again, I was talking about being in Kenya, which is largely considered even a Christian nation. And here were people that I met that had never heard about Jesus. So that was the point of the article. While this is true, our work isn't done. I just kept getting hung up on the this is true part. I didn't imagine that I would live to see a day when that was true. And here we are. And the work's not done. Because through the authority that had been given to him, all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus commissioned his people to go into all the world that everybody would know who Jesus is, what he has done, and the claims that he makes on each of our lives. It was stunning to me. And so when we give, little or much, we are a part of what God is doing around the world. And that brings joy. That brings joy. And Paul is also talking here about gratitude and thankfulness. When we give individuals or corporately, those who are recipients are grateful, right? So he talks about them. When they receive this gift, they're going to give thanks to God because of your generosity. Oh, how beautiful is that? God is being praised by the recipients of our giving. That's joyful for me. And God himself, the act of giving is an act that brings joy to the Lord. It's an act of thanksgiving to God. Paul's talking about right here in this passage. My giving is an act of gratitude to God. So I'm participating and saying, God, you're amazing. Thank you for what you've done. And my giving is that act of gratitude and worship. All right? And so it fosters, this joyfulness fosters within us. So generous giving is intentional. It's on purpose. What is God asking of you? He's asking for your heart. Do what he says. Do what he says. And do it joyfully. Do it joyfully. Generous giving is done not out of compulsion or obligation, but out of joy. See, there may be other churches that really beat this hard. I've, I've been in some where they use manipulation and control to get and take. That is not how we roll. We will never do that. We will never knowingly do that. And if it comes to our attention, I, as one of our main mouthpieces and others who would be with me, we will repent and apologize. And we will never do that because that is not what God does. That is not how God rolls. And so it will not be how we roll. My purpose, even in proclaiming this today, is not to get something from you. It's to offer something to you. And that is the posture that we will always take because we don't want giving of finances, time, and energy out of compulsion or obligation. We want to cultivate a spirit-empowered joyfulness in what we as individuals and in what we as a body get to offer for our good and for God's glory. And so Paul says, don't give out of compulsion, but give joyfully and cheerfully. Always remembering that generosity begins with God. Listen to this. Remember this. Everything I have has been given to me by God. Everything I have has been given to me by God. Any money? Given to me by God. Skill and ability? Given to me by God. Geolocation that provides opportunity? Given to me by God. Energy and time? given to me by God. Everything I have has been given to me by God. 
Everything you have has been given to you by God. Say that with me, would you? Everything I have has been given to me by God. Let's say it together. Everything I have has been given to me by God. One more time. Everything I have has been given to me by God. Okay, one more for the road. Everything I have has been given to me by God. That's at the heart of this. It's all his. And at the very moment that we go, "Mm, I worked pretty hard for that. Oh, I took the lessons to do that. Oh, I'm actually just that smart. (laughs) Then the generosity well closes. And we keep and we hoard. And when we do give, it's out of compulsion or grudgingly. But a generous heart who recognizes that all that I have been given is a gift from God. And it's his to do with as he sees fit. I am but a mere steward of that which he's entrusted. I'm not a steward of the 10%. And the rest stays mine. 100% is his. That is true for me, that is true for you, and that is true for us. We are stewards of what God has given us because everything we have has been given to us by God. Everything. And so when we give, we recognize that giving is an act of trust. Withholding tells us something about our trust. Giving is an act of trust. Giving is an act of revolution against the tyranny of materialism that holds humanity fast. It says, no, I will not be bound by that which holds humanity captive. And generosity and giving is an act of worship and thanksgiving to God. How so? Because everything that I have has been given by him. And so you look at who we are as a body. I just want to, we're heading heading towards the end here. Um, But the fact of the matter is that our church is a volunteer organization that wouldn't exist without your generosity. Okay? And so there are pieces to how we do life together that, um, that require finances. Sometimes people aren't aware. So I'm just saying that is so that everybody's aware of things, particularly if you're new, like how, does, how do we turn the lights on? How do we do things? Uh, we do things because you, we give financially to do things. And so it's not, um, it's not a total temple model, but there's pieces of it. There's echoes of it, isn't there? Like we have building and facility. Here's a 200-year-old building. That's pretty remarkable. And it, it requires upkeep to keep upright, <laughs> right? And so there, there's some echoes of a temple model that, are, that echo here because we have facility to take care of. Um, uh, our church is led uh, by me and others who give our, all of our time uh, and energy to serving the body. Uh, some of it isn't a physical caretaking, but it's in uh, uh, spiritual caretaking and relational caretaking uh, as pastors and staff. And we get to do that in that way because, uh, because of your giving. Some of you might even be surprised that this is my gig. Um, and, and I work more than just on Sundays, 
right? And I, you, don't, you don't get to see it, so I just, I laugh with the rest of you, but it's, it's a full-time job of studying and counseling and preparing and administration and those kinds of things, and we've got people who are dedicated to our family ministries with kids and students and parents, and we've got prayer and care ministries here and our, our worship ministry and all these different things. So there are some of, some of us, um, now this isn't like, oh, we pay the staff to kind of do ministry. That's not how it works. Paul has other things to say about that. It's actually our role as leaders to equip the body to do the work of ministry. God has given you gifts and skills and time, and together corporately we become the body of Christ. And so our job as leaders is to give ourselves to the development, to the health, and the flourishing of this body so that we can function as God calls us to function. And so we are a volunteer organization. Just think about last night. We had the uh, daddy-daughter dance. Anybody here from the, Rory was there, right? You guys were there, daddy-daughter dance, any other daddy-daughter dance people? We got a, a few of you, right? A lot of them were the early risers. And that only got to happen. It was a fantastic night. And that only happened. Uh, Lauren and Jess were staff people that gave great leadership to this, but there were others that jumped in. Nina was like queen boss lady, and she helped make that thing happen. And uh, Donna was in there, and she had the snack table locked down. And Chris was up there, and he was taking pictures. And others were um, making sure that the crafts table was all set up. Like, it, that beautiful event only happened because there were volunteers who made it happen. Um, our children's ministry happens because volunteers make it happen. Our student ministry happens because volunteers make it happen. Like this is who we are. Our prayer ministry happens because you are prayers. You give time and energy to pray for the needs of people in our church and in our community. Um, our, our tech team up there in the booth, they like to hide behind all the things and hide behind the wall. Um, but, so I'll embarrass them a little bit. Like they're volunteers. They're here hours and hours and hours every week, not just on Sundays, but in preparation. They make videos and they get our slides looking awesome. Uh, they, they help you hear me, though I've got a pretty good dad voice. Maybe you could hear me even if Libden wasn't on the board, but don't test it. Right, And we got our team up here. These are volunteer musicians and singers who lead us in worship. They don't perform for us. They lead us in worship. We are a volunteer organization, and so we only happen when you give yourself time and energy and skills and gifts and yes money now if we don't want to do church like this then we don't have to do that but there's a way that that in our context God is calling us to be his people and to live together as his people and involves your generosity our generosity together and then corporately our generosity because we get to do things like city hope through your giving we get to be a part of city hope which meets the needs of people who are either homeless or vulnerable to homelessness through our pantry through advocacy through creating environments where they get to kind of laugh and be human again uh, we get to be a part of his mansion which is a phenomenal ministry endearing that's helping people in community and residential settings uh, find healing and recovery from addictions and things that have held them captive for a long time um, and they're a part of our church too because they worship with us on Sundays at nine o'clock these are the things that God invites us to be a part of because we are an expression of what his generosity his generosity that's what it means to be us and so we're wrapping up this series, but we're not stopping our generosity. In so many ways, we are just getting going. Why? Because he is a generous God. He is a generous God. And we as a people who've been marked by his grace as his sons and daughters will follow in his steps as generous people because he has commissioned us as his people that the world might know and that his righteousness would grow and flourish within us. And so the question becomes for you, what are you going to do?
For some, it might simply be, you've never really asked God. Maybe you even give, but you've never really even asked God. God, what do you want from me in this? And this week might be about asking. That's a little scary. What might he say? I don't know. That's why we ask. And so for you, it might be, I'm just simply going to start asking. For others of you, you've asked, and you kind of didn't like the answer. Right? You're like, oh, no. Oh. That was a great conversation um, leading up to the daddy-daughter dance. So it was last week. And this woman, I didn't get permission to use your, use your name, and uh, she approached Lauren and just last week and said, okay, I know I'm supposed to help out at the daddy-daughter dance. Uh, what, do you, what do you need me to do? And so Lauren was talking to her about that, and, and she was just like, okay, God's been stirring in me long enough. If I don't say something right now, I'm actually being disobedient. Right? So you've ever had that? Like, it's stirring, it's stirring, but you've kind of been saying no, no, no. And then there's like, oh, just do it. And so last night when I came for a little bit of the daddy-daughter, I was watching her, and I didn't even know this till afterwards, but I was watching her, and her face was just lit up. She was having a blast with what she got to do throughout the daddy-daughter dance. It was a gift that she offered. It's also a gift that she received. And so some of you might be at a point in your life where you've heard God say the thing, and you've kind of been going, no, don't want to right? Settle that with him. You wrestle with him on that, all right, and see what he's going to do. And others of you, you're just walking in faithfulness. You've been asking, you've been responding, you've been saying yes. And it's a beautiful thing. And you know what I'm talking about when I know that you have tapped into something that God is doing transformational in your heart. Walk in that. Walk in that as you walk in faithful trust and obedience to him, all right? Okay, let's pray together. God, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot that we're wrestling with here, just even around this notion of generosity. And so I pray that you would put your spirit in us, that you would empower us by your spirit of love and grace and joy to be a generous people. Let us experience that here within the body and together as the body in the world in which we live. May you empower it in us and through us for our good and for your glory. We offer you ourselves because you have given us life. You have given us life. Through your son, we have forgiveness. We have freedom. We have redemption. We've been reconciled to you. Are you kidding me? What a gift you have given. So out of the beautiful ways that you have given to us, we follow in faithful obedience to you and we do so with joy. Receive all that we offer to you and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Here we are. We are his people. You have been marked by his grace. If you have never received his grace, if you have never received his forgiveness, and you are being stirred to repentance to him, we've got a prayer team up here after the service that would love to pray with you, that you might know freedom, joy and repentance through the life that God and God alone gives. He is the original giver and everything we do is just an outcropping of what he has already done in us. For those of you who walk with him, may you know his peace, may you know his joy, may you know his abundant and beautiful love as you walk with him. Take care. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. 
Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.